0: You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. I did something this morning I've never done. I, uh... I forgot my sport coat. And uh, when, when that's that's a big deal in my life because when we started the church, um, I, 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 oh gosh, you'd have to be a preacher to appreciate this. I went to this pastor's thing about starting churches, and they had all these things about style and about, you know, and uh, they asked me, what are you going to dress like? And I thought, I hadn't even thought about it. And I was like, well, I just, you know, wear it, it look like a, I was 45 years old. I look like a 45-year-old. I'll wear pants and a sport coat and, you know, probably won't wear a tie. But I'll—and they were like, oh, if you do that, no young people will come to your church. So that's, that's really worked out in our church. We have no—young <laughs> people have come entire time. It's just been a tragedy. But uh, but I—, I um i always want to wear a sport coat, and I I had a blue sport coat, and I was going to be incredibly drab this morning, the drab gray and the brown, and so just imagine that, if you will. I feel kind of awkward (laughs) not having a sport coat here. So um, anyways, let me just reiterate a a couple things that, one thing that Lisa said, if if you've not been baptized uh, and you're a believer, um, I encourage you next week to come, we want to baptize you. And you can, if you want to do that, you can email me, it's lee at classiccity.org, or it's uh, elizabeth at classiccity.org. If you do that, you'll, we can get you baptized, we're going to have some people uh, going through that next week, and it'll be a, a tremendous thing. So uh, anyways, want to throw that out there. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. And we are um, finishing up today a three-week series on the church that we have called Christ Nuance. And the idea behind that is Jesus was God-nuanced. He was the invisible, eternal, infinite God becoming a finite, limited, material being. And as he's left, the church is, in a sense, Christ in a nuanced way, in the world. That's what we're supposed to be. And we looked at, there's basically three characteristics we're focusing on where Paul says, or, or it's something in the New Testament the writers will say, the church is <clears throat> something. And uh, three weeks ago we saw that the, the Bible says the church is the foundation and pillar of the truth. And that's what a church ought to be about, the truth. What. The particular truth it means is, and and this is the image Paul uses is of a founding of a city back then. They would take a huge flat stone, they would set it in the middle of the city they were going to build, and they would carve into that stone either the event or the purpose or some of the parameters of that city, what that city is about, and then they would build a pillared sort of a, almost like a gazebo in our world, but just a pillared structure around it and that was understood to be the foundation of that city, why it existed. And the foundation of the church is our understanding and our belief in who Jesus is. That is absolutely core essential that we understand that. And the most simple way I could say who the Bible says Jesus is, who, what Christianity and what we absolutely believe in this church Jesus is. He is the God of Israel who became a genuine human, human being him genuinely, authentically human to bring about the salvation that was promised in the Old Testament. That is exactly and crisply who Jesus is and what he did. And we believe that. And then, and then in our church we emphasize five theological foundations. They arose from the uh, Protestant Reformation and the, the, they have the word sola which is the Latin word for alone. And those five are Christ alone, grace alone faith alone scripture alone is our authority and god's glory alone is what motivates us that's the why of our life those those five things that we hold to and we we establish this church on is that who we believe jesus is and those five foundational truths and, and that's our theological background now so the church is a pillar in the foundation of second thing we looked at last week uh, over and over again, particularly the Apostle Paul, but also the Apostle Peter when they're writing, call the church the body of, body of Christ. In fact, one passage says you are the body of Christ, and you are individually part of it. And so what the, the Bible teaches is that the church is a collective body. Just like a body has different parts that function, so is the church. And important for us if we're going to be, and uh, it really it's, it's an interesting kind of angle. Paul, looked at a little bit last week in Romans. Paul talks in the, if you look at Romans chapter 12, he talks for a couple verses about God's will for your life. Being good and acceptable and perfect. What God's will for your life is. And then the next few verses he says, look, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And he talks about how it's important that you participate in a body. And one of the things he's trying to tell you there is that What you do, what you contribute to as an individual, the collective effort you contribute to is more God's will than your individual whatever, your individual calling. We a lot of times spend a lot of time thinking, am I supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or a school teacher or a pastor or or whatever, What, what we are individually we think, where am I supposed to live? We think a lot about God's will individually. And Paul's saying, look, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. The the real way to orient yourself towards God's will is saying, how can I, how do I fit within the church? How do I fit within God's purposes and God's plan? What does God individually want me to do to advance his kingdom with a collective body? And so we are the body of Christ. And God calls every one of us to be part of a body, to function and and help that body grow and thrive. And so we looked at that, foundation of the truth, we're a body. And then I want to read this passage right here. It's in Ephesians 2. This is a wonderful verse. Um, It's in verse 19. And Paul's writing to a group of of people that were a lot of Gentile converts and a lot of Jewish people who had been converted to Christianity. And they're just kind of getting to know each other. And, you know, Christianity was the first multicultural religion that had ever Hit the face of the earth. So they're, they're, they're just going through these things, and Paul's getting them to sort of understand themselves not as an individual with a racial identity or a, a social identity or a, a whatever-based thing. I want you guys to understand who you are collectively as God's people. And he, he writes this in verse 19: Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And also members of his household. And he's telling Gentiles, you are just as much God is your God as much as he's the God of the Jewish people. Anybody else, he's equally yours. And um, he goes on, he says in verse 20, you're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. with Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Then verse 21, he says, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him... You two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. So, the church is the foundation of the truth. The church is the body of Christ. But the third thing the Bible teaches the church is, it it is the dwelling place of God. The special, particular place where God dwells and lives and inhabits. Now, let me go through the Bible. And I want to do something real quickly here that the Old Hebrew um, rabbis called stringing pearls. And sometimes what old ancient Hebrew rabbis do is they would find a topic in Genesis and they'd find it later in the Bible and they would just string all these, this topic together and kind of try to figure out what the, the thought of that whole topic is about. See the trajectory of that whole topic to understand it better. And so there's a topic that's a big deal in the Bible and that is God's presence, God dwelling with us. And so let's look at sort of a trajectory of, of six big transitions in God's presence. Now, when the world started and God made man, where did man and woman live? Adam and Eve lived where? In the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, what happened? A lot of things happened, but they, particularly with God, what did they do? Yeah, they walked with God. The Bible says a really beautiful thing. That Adam and Eve, man and woman, would walk with God in the cool of the day. And God's presence was with them in the garden. They were there with Him and enjoying Him. And it was a wonderful thing. Of course, we know what happened. They sinned, they fell, and they were expelled from the garden. God didn't leave them. They had to leave where God was. They left the presence of God because of sin. And they wandered away. That's the first thing we understand. Now the second thing we see is we, we read the Bible there is a major shift that happens in the story of the Exodus. We are familiar with the Exodus. Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And all these plagues hit and Pharaoh finally lets them go. And the, the whole nation of Israel, the whole race of, of Jewish Israelites they, they leave in one night, the Passover night. And they exodus slavery in Egypt. And they move toward what is to be their eventual home, the eventual land they'll inhabit, their promised land. Now Exodus tells that story. That then it, the second half of Exodus talks about one thing only for about 15, 20 chapters. It talks about the building of the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle was sort of a tent that uh, was mobile and was out there. I don't know if we have a vi- visual. Do we have a visual of the tabernacle? Let me show you this up here. And uh, see that right there? That is uh, what it looked like when Israel was journeying. They would divide up. There was 12 tribes. And they would all uh, be arranged this way. Does that look kind of familiar to anybody? That's 1,800 years before Jesus. It's just kind of an interesting fact that they were shaped like a cross uh, in the middle, just probably just a coincidence, but anyways. Uh, <laughs> but that's what, and then you see in the middle, see the smoke and in that, in the, that was the tabernacle in the middle. Let's get a closer look of it. Look at the next. See, that's what it looked like there. And it was just a tent, just a simple tent. And they would come to this altar here where the, you see the fire and they would make sacrifices there. And there was, there was a separation they had. They separated uh, the priest, the laity from the rest of the people. And as you got closer to that, to going inside that tent where God was, you had to do more rituals. Um, animals were slaughtered. You had to take a bath sometimes. You had to do, you know, you had to get dressed in certain type of clothes It had to be all silk. You know, no, no wool, nothing that would make you sweat, all silk. It had, and, and you had to have the right colors, and you had to, sometimes they'd wear this breastplate. They had all this garb they had to do. And it, it wanted to accentuate the idea that the closer you got to God, the holier you needed to be, the more cautious you needed to be. And it sort of accentuated the awesomeness that a human being was actually going to go and stand before the presence of God. And this is inside there, and the, only the high priest could go in there. Behind that curtain, and he would go in there, and the idea was he was before God in the tabernacle. I think that the verse in Exodus 25, 8 says, Build for me a sanctuary in the wilderness, and I will dwell there. And so the tabernacle was this mobile earthly dwelling, and it was kind of ironic because every other nation had a land, and they built these huge, enormous temples to their gods that didn't exist. And the one true God just said, "Hey, just make a tent, just pitch a tent, do it the way I want you to do it, and I'm, I'm really cool with that. Just again, very understated, very simple. God willing to be in a, in a position of it's weak. It doesn't matter to him that the fake gods have big temples. He knows who he is, and, and a tent's really cool. So they were, and, and Israel was this way as a nation." For 300 years. For 300 years, this is how they worshiped. They would come and they would uh, have their annual feast and all their big worship events. They would come to this, um, this structure, this tent, and they would worship there and they would meet with God there as a community. And they understood that God dwelt. Now they knew God dwelt everywhere, but there was a very special and particular way God dwelt in that tabernacle. And they got themselves ready for it, and they went for it. Now, as time went on, 300 years later, um, Israel, of course, conquered the land that is now the geography of Israel, and they <clears throat> had began to have a government, which is a good idea. And um, they uh, it, it developed, and they had a great leader named King David. And King David got, and his heart was to just not just have this tent for God anymore. He's like, look, we've done the tent thing enough. We need to build a a physical structure, a permanent structure that will celebrate our God. And it needs to be the greatest structure on the face of the earth. And so David put together the plans and his son Solomon behind him actually built it. And they built the temple. Uh, And you can, I think we have a picture of it up there. So God's dwelling in the temple, the garden, the tabernacle. And that's kind of like what the temple looked like back then. Now, has anybody been to Israel here? I've been there. I know some of you have been. Raise your hands if you've been there. Now, I'm going to tell you this. That does not do justice to how big this is. Now, the Temple Mount is it's built on a mountain. And so they, they built this enormous platform that is probably three, four, five, six stories tall. I mean, just a, a huge, tall platform on top of this hilly area to begin with. And the platform on which the temple and its surrounding supporting buildings were built... I did this yesterday because I didn't want to over-exaggerate because it looked this way to me as I remembered it. But I actually went to Google's Maps, and I Googled the Temple Mount in Israel, and I looked at it and saw how big it was. And then I Googled the Tate Center at UGA. (laughs) And this platform that it sits on that is several stories high is literally the same size pretty much as the Tate Center The Miller Center, the bookstore, and Sanford Stadium are all combined. Same footprint. It was built thousands of years ago. And then on top of it are these these enormous buildings. I cannot tell you how extraordinary this, this is when you think about it. And this was the temple. And this was a big deal to the Jewish community. And it should have been. It's the, probably the greatest structure on the face of the earth. And it was built to their God, who they're very proud of, and they, they, they loved, and David loved, and Solomon loved. And so when they're doing this dedication ceremony, it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, part of the Bible to read. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And when Solomon is talking about why they built the temple, he, he says in the first 10 verses over and over again, he says, this temple is... And he calls it this, is a place for the name. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? A place for the name. A dwelling for the name. And he goes on and he just, he's admiring how beautiful it is. And he's just in awe of how large it is. But then he asks himself this question in verse 18. He goes, will God really dwell on earth? in a building like this. I mean, the entire universe can't contain God. How much less this building. So, he's sitting there and he's just admiring this project that's gotten done. It's the most grand structure in the world. And he's admiring it and he's hey, this is for God. Then all of a sudden he kind of has this thought. How puny is this building? How Inconsequential. How unable to do what we are saying it's going to do. What on earth? Why can God dwell in it? And then he and then he goes on and he in verse eighteen he kind of elaborates, and he says this is a place where God hears and God sees, and God's present in a very powerful, in a particular way, in a very profound way. That He hears and He sees in this place. And it was a place for God's people to come and he lists about seven reasons to come into the temple. Particular reasons, special reasons. One is if you've been wronged. Anybody here ever been wronged? Oh gosh, nobody. What a charmed (laughs) life we're all living. What's your secret? Um, You know what it's like to be wronged? Your boss is a jerk or somebody does something wrong. who knows? Somebody wrongs you. You ever had gotten wrong and just couldn't get it out of your head at all? Just took days and days. And the more you thought about it, the worse it got. Somebody's been wronged. We all experience that. The, the, he says, hey, come to the temple. Come before God. He talks about things when, you've, when you have financial stress. Their day, it was famine and things like that. In our day, it's other things. He says, when you have financial stress, come to the temple. When you're sick, come to the temple. Trust God for healing. When you're defeated by an enemy, come to the temple. And be rejuvenated. And be lifted up. And go fight another day and win battles you couldn't win before come to the temple and then he ends with this one and he goes if you sin then solomon lily says and who doesn't sin come here and i think particularly it's not just an individual sin but it's when you've got real weak vulnerable areas and you have secrets and you have soft spots that you just can't overcome and you you feel weighed down with guilt. And you feel defeated by habits and by things. He's saying, come to the temple. Come here and be empowered and be lifted. And that was, a, and then it was also the last thing. It was a place for the unbeliever. And he said, man, when they come, bring your foreign friends. Bring your non-Jewish friends here. Bring them here, and they're going to come, and they're going to experience God, and they will Turn to the Lord. It's a place to bring them not to be entertained, not to be dazzled, but to be awed by the presence of God and the authenticity of your faith. And, and this is what this temple was for. That's why it was built. It was the dwelling of God, the unique, exceptional place on the earth where God dwelt. Now, the next thing that happens is this temple actually got destroyed. They they were were rebellious and they turned away from the Lord. And in 587 B.C. these Babylonians came in, destroyed it. The prophet Ezekiel had a vision of God, of the doors of the temple opening and God like literally leaving the place because they would gotten so evil and so sinful and so indifferent to Him and so superficial in their religion. He just left. And then the invaders came in and destroyed the place. And it was rebuilt, but it was, it was never a time after it got rebuilt where God actually re-entered the temple. It was just rebuilt. And actually in Jesus' day, uh, Herod rebuilt it. It was like an awesome structure again. That's the temple. Now look at the next thing here, uh, the next slide. So we have the Garden of Eden, the tabernacle, the temple. And the next slide is this. And this is really huge. God dwells in, and I would say as, Jesus. Now, just as a temple was this special dwelling place of God, we believe in Christ that temple became something, that dwelling place of God became something that was extraordinary. God literally became human and dwelt with us. The Apostle John writes about this in John chapter 1. In verse 1 he talks about, In the beginning was the Word, the Greek words logos, the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14... Twelve verses later, he says, that word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt is the same Greek word as the word tabernacled. He hovered with us. He dwelt with us. God became human and he dwelt with us. That's who we understand Jesus was. He was literally the God of Israel coming in. Jesus even called his own body a temple several times. He said, you destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in 3 days talking about his body. He understood he was the embodiment of God. God lived in him. He was actually God incarnate. And that's who he was. So that's that's God's dwelling with us. Look at the next one here. After Christ dies, here's what happens. God dwells within the believer as the Holy Spirit. This is awesome. Because I understand Jesus being the temple of God and Jesus being having God's presence. But what about you and me, every one of you, that God could dwell in you and you could be a temple of the Holy Spirit? There's a verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, put that up there. Um, and this, this is a, a thought that's threaded several times in the, in the New Testament. But here's what Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are temples Of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, who you have received from God, you are not your own. And what was going on in that day is, people in this particular congregation, the Corinthian congregation, they were they were living their their morality was just like everybody else. In those days, the the way they did it is you had one you had a wife, and but hey, but you would also have you could go anytime you wanted you'd go to these. Uh, pr- pr- prostitutes, and there was all kind of things there. And so you, you had a wife you built a family with, but you, men would go and go around other other places. I'm trying to be soft about that. And Paul's saying, he's saying, look, do you know who you are? Christ lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You're joining God to that indecent act. Don't do that. And that's something to really take to heart. If God lives in us, the Holy Spirit lives in us, That's a very powerful reality. I mean, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Isn't that great? You can't do all things. There's some things you shouldn't do. You know that? You know, I always, I always think, what if, what if we, at this church gathering, we had a stripper come up here and do a dance? I don't, don't, I hope it isn't too crass, but just think about how absurd that would be. If we showed a nasty flick on the thing, you'd think, that's absurd. What is wrong with you, pastor? But what happens when you and I let pornographic imagery into our soul? The truth is, you as a human being, filled with the Holy Spirit, are more sacred than this, bo- this building. And this is what Paul's saying. Man, wake up to who you are. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit who you have from God. This is, God's given us to you. He is in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. And it's a powerful reality that you and I, through Christ, because our sins are forgiven, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? Now, here's the last thing here. This is what I want to get to, and I'm going to close up real quick. The one one we talk about here in Ephesians is this is the ultimate thing. God dwells among the church by the Holy Spirit. Again, let me read this last verse to you in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 21, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Holy Spirit. Now I want to take about a couple minutes here and I want to share with you what is our heart for a Sunday church service? What do we want to see happen? What's our goal? Why do, we, why do we do this? Why do we gather? And there's a lot of good reasons why churches gather. And you can accentuate a lot of tremendous things that are very Christian on Sunday. But the thing that I want to say is I, the... the I always think the church is this. If, if I would love our church to be a movie screen. Anybody go to a movie lately? You, know, you have a movie screen? Got a big movie screen up there. Does anybody go to a movie and come out and go and oh wow, did you see the screen? What a cool movie screen. Like it went up and it came down. It did fancy stuff. You know, and now they have the screens where they, they, like right before the movie comes on, they just get wider. You know, the screen. No, no, no. What do we remember? We remember the movie. Screen is just a place for the story to be told. What is a church? What are you? What are me? We're a screen, we're just a place for the story of God and of Christ, the story of grace, the story of a crucified Savior, the story of a Savior who builds humanity up, who, who redeems humanity, who fixes humanity, who salvages humanity, individuals and the collective people. We are the screen where that story is being played. That is all we are. And that's what a church is collectively. It's just a place where God displays himself. And this is what our heart is for this church on Sundays. That we come here and we say we are committed to being one thing. Absolutely one thing. It is a dwelling place where God lives by the Holy Spirit. That that in this city and there's other places, this is true of a lot of other churches, but I want it to be true of our church in as remarkable way as possible. That on Sundays, God dwells here by the Holy Spirit. And people that are coming and they've been wronged. And they're just, that gets settled. And people are coming that have been defeated. And they rise up and they go out and they begin to win and and be a champion in life. People that have come and are sick and they get healed. Y'all remember last Christmas Eve, we had a Christmas Eve service here. Just so powerful. Simple little service. Lasted about 50 minutes. We were, had candles lit, sang some songs. Jack read a great passage from Isaiah over there. Shout out to you, Jack. <laughs> and, and we had you know, just a wonderful family time together. Closed with three songs. My favorite Christmas song is What Child Is This? Anybody know anybody else give a shout out at what child is? I wish we'd play it non-Christmas in here, but I can't get that into it. Anyways, but <laughs> anyways, uh, we're playing the last three songs, the second one's What Child Is This? There's a gal over here who had had a stroke a year and a half earlier, right here in the base of her brain. She shouldn't have lived through it. But one of the consequences of it is she could not read. She, I mean, she could read one word. She used to be an avid reader. could read one word at a time, one word at a time. It just completely slowed her down, completely debilitated her. During that song, she feels something buzzing going on in the back of her neck. And she. next thing she knows, she's looking at the screen, and she can, like, read the words of what child is this. She hadn't been able to do that in a year and a half. She started freaking out. She's reading the words, and she just... Freaking out. And she shared this testimony actually in January. Some of you may have been here. Started reading it. Started reading everything. Reading the book. Got, was leaving here reading every sign she could go. Got in the car, freaked out to her husband. God healed her right here in the thing. Doctors call it a miracle. Doctors call it a miracle, it's a miracle. But God healing. But a place when you're stressed by finances, you can come here and you can see something bigger than the moment. You can see something bigger than your personal ledger that there's life beyond it and there's there's things that are going to come out there's hope when you're guilty because you've sinned i know what it's like to come to church guilty because you've had a bad week or if you've fallen or something's wrong i'm sure everybody here knows what that's like to have a place where you can come and you can go gosh i'm i want to get this right with god i want to get this off my chest I want the stain and the guilt and the heaviness off my life. That's what a church is about, the dwelling place of God, to dwell with a God who died to remove your sin and to connect with him in your guilt and feel it gone and feel it removed and feel relief from it. To feel yourself the, the sins and the things that defeat us to, to, to rise up and say, I can win this. I'm going to win this battle. And for the person who doesn't know Christ to come and go, this thing's real. Not this thing is fun, not this thing is cool. This thing is real. This is awesome. That's our goal. That's our heart for doing church on Sunday. That you and I collectively become a dwelling where God lives by the Spirit. When we come to church on Sunday, I mean we're coming with an attitude. We're coming to meet with God. We're coming to connect with Him collectively, to celebrate Him. David in Psalm 27:4 said, One thing have I desired, this one thing do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To gaze on the beauty of God and to seek him in his temple. If we have that kind of attitude, I can't wait till Sunday. Because we're going to celebrate God together. I'm going to gaze on the beauty of God. I'm going to seek him in his temple. That's what we are collectively. We are. The dwelling place where God lives by the Holy Spirit. When we can all get on and calibrate ourselves to that powerful reality. Don't just do church. I've got a really good friend of mine, Gerald Brooks, always says In America today, we are great at church and we're bad at God. You know what I mean? We, we do great at church, we do bad at God. Let's become great at God, and, and church will take care of itself. Everybody agree? That's what we want to do. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this awesome, powerful reality that you dwell with us by the Holy Spirit. You dwell in us individually by the Holy Spirit. But in this powerful, incredible way, you dwell with us collectively. And as we tune to that, the church rises and becomes this It becomes a dwelling where God lives by the Spirit. It's a place where the sick are healed. It's a place where the defeated get on their feet and begin to fight a new fight. It's where the guilty feel cleansed and experience cleansing of their stains. It's where those outside the church come inside. Lord, we pray for the grace to be this in this city in this time. And we we love you and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together, we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.